Although adults are free to decline stepping on the scale, children have different health needs. Your child's physician rely on growth charts for monitoring development, identifying signs of illness, and prescribing medication. And you want the best for them. So what are you to do? Welcome to the Love Your Food, Love Yourself, Love Your Life podcast. I am Tammy, your fun-loving and often quirky host. I have been a dietitian for close to 20 years where I've helped countless women transform not only their relationship with food, but more importantly themselves. I believe to my core that as you start peeling back the layers to loving your food and yourself, you end up loving your life like never before. And now is the time, my friend. It is time to break up with diet culture, shift your current stories, rev up your internal wisdom, and recognize that every body, regardless of size, not only deserves dignity and respect, but can be healthy because your habits and how you love on yourself is truly what matters. In this podcast, we have real conversations about struggles, insecurities, and false beliefs with loving ourselves and each other through the lens of curiosity, anti-judgment, intuitive eating, spirituality, journaling, and a heaping dose of laughter, maybe some tears, but always a whole lot of realness. Hey friends, it's Tammy and Beth today, and... I am curious about something. (laughs) Have you been intrigued by our past conversations and our past episodes about the scale? And if you have, and if you have children, I'm curious, have you ever asked yourself, how do I handle the scale at the pediatrician's office or my family practitioner's office or maybe the WIC office? Here's the thing. Pediatricians and other care providers, they really care about their patients, especially these little ones, right? They're deeply invested in their care. And we do know that the the care that children receive can really impact their health for, for decades as they go on to other providers. So if you hadn't been thinking about it, I hope you're thinking about it now. And you probably are because I just said it, right? So But here's the thing, and I know that I experienced this, is that as parents, especially with little growing idgets, (laughs) we can really feel like it's our responsibility to make sure that our children are growing and that they're growing as they're supposed to. It's like it's almost a reflection of are we doing our job, you know, as a parent, and it can really become quite the heavy burden. So, If you're feeling a little bit conflicted on thinking about, well, how would I handle talking about weight and the scale with a pediatrician? Because like, I'm supposed to care about that, right? But then you also might be thinking, but I don't want any harm done to my child because I know how harmful those conversations about weight can be. So I've been there. I know Beth has has been there. So we're going to kind of dive in and and talk about this. Anything you want to add there, Beth? Yeah, this is near and dear to my heart because I have a four-year-old and we are soon to be five. We will be going to the doctor's office very soon. 
And so I've been on both sides of the table. I've been the provider providing information about a child's growth and weight. Both Tammy and I, in our history, we actually met at the WIC office. We used to be pediatric dietitians. We studied this stuff for nearly a decade for me, Tammy, I think you longer. And so we have been on both sides of the table. And now that I'm, I have a young one, I, I can appreciate this conversation in even more depth because now I am the patient. You know, I'm with the patient, I guess, when I go into the office and they talk about growth. And I'm always very curious about my reaction being on the other side of the table. So this is going to be really a fun conversation and so helpful for all of the parents out there who are having those concerns around weight and their child and their growth because, yeah, I mean, it, it affects us and, and how we feel as parents. Absolutely. And I just have to say there was a time when one of my children was sick repeatedly and was really faltering on growth. And, you know, not, not doing well on, on the growth charts. And it was probably one of the most stressful times in my life, because not only did I have a sick child, but they were also kind of berating me for making sure that he was growing. And ironically, I don't know if, if I've told you this, you know, Beth or not, and then we'll jump into the, the topic and give everybody some tips here. But I actually did a presentation for a very large set of providers in Colorado as in coordination with, with the WIC office. And I was talking about how I was a dietitian and talking about the WIC office and such and such and such. And my child's provider was there at the training. Okay. And then the next day, my child had a doctor's appointment and they said that they recognized me, right? But then guess what happened? They provided me nutrition counseling and guidance on my child's weight. It was so funny. I was just, yeah, I was floored. So anyways, just a little personal note of how impactful these things can be and that we totally get it. So without further ado, let's talk about really how to know when to start caring about the weight conversations at the pediatrician's office. And I think before we really dive into that topic, we need to kind of separate it a little bit for you and just really highlight the fact that there's a difference in how we would handle this based on the different ages of children. So when we say children, right, that actually goes from zero to the age of 18 years old. So we're looking at infants who are generally classified from zero to one age. And then we have toddlers who are one to four years old. And then we have children who are five to 12. And then we have our lovely teenagers, (laughs) which I have one at home. Well, I have two right now, actually two teenagers, which are 13 to 19. And I call them lovely because I just have to speak of them like that. And anybody who has a teenager understands that. But anyhow, each one of these ages of of children really kind of need their own support for handling the weight talk and the scale in appointments. So today, Beth and I are going to kind of break that down for you. So Beth, would you like to take the lead on infants and kind of let's dive into how to handle infants and the scale? 
Yeah, no, infants are definitely an age group that is critical for growth and development. We know that the little human body changes more in those first couple years of life than that little person will change (laughs) the rest of their entire life. Like it's crazy the amount of development that's happening. And because of that, you know, nutrition and weight gain are imperative to supporting that growth and development. And so we do find that infants, when we weigh them on a regular basis and follow their growth charts, it helps us to determine that they're getting the nutrients they need for that normal growth and development. Okay. But it is important to note that those growth charts that your doctor's offices likely use were that, that are used as as standard practice were just updated, not only like just about 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, Tammy and I witnessed this because we were we were in the WIC office. By the way, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, WIC, WIC is Women, Infants, and Children. It's a supplemental nutrition program uh, that the government provides to people who who need uh, nutrition education and nutritious foods. So <laughs> sometimes I forget that not everyone knows what that is. So I wanted to define that because we worked with a lot of infants and we weighed them every single time they came in. And during our careers, we watched the the change of those growth charts from kind of an outdated model to a new updated model that is based on the World Health Organization were recently implemented into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to that, okay, so likely if if you're older than than ten, <laughs> you may have been plotted on a growth chart that was actually based on some false bias um, and non-inclusive data. So not all populations were taken to an account in those growth charts. So uh, the growth charts that go from zero to two years of age um, are are much better now than they used to be. So that's good news, right? But they do really help us as providers watch the patterns of growth. So it's not so much about okay, you know, my child was born at seven pounds and now they're 10 pounds. That's bad or that's good. Uh, It's following a little channel on the growth chart. And if we had a visual that would be helpful here, obviously this is a podcast, but just know that the provider's role is to ensure that the child from the day he or she were born, that they follow a channel consistently without too much variance to ensure that the, the their brain growth and their development is on track with that weight gain. And, you know, I don't know very many parents who don't want to know their child's weight in that first year of life. And there's usually, in in my experience, really positive conversations about weight gain that typically happen in the office. And if there's not, it's likely due to, you know, something's not working with the the form of feeding, you know, the, the breast milk or the formula, they're not getting enough of it. And we, when we can see those trends, we can correct and support the parents and and things that they can do to support that growth and development. Yeah. And I just want to highlight that in my experience, one of the only times where looking at an infant's weight can be a little bit problematic (laughs) is sometimes right within that first week or two. And this is a critical time for brain growth and for so many things. However, when an infant is born, they they are often born with fluid weight. And the amount of fluid weight that an infant is born with is highly variable on a lot of different factors. It depends on 
a mother's pregnancy and her delivery and how much fluids she received. And, you know, there's, there's multiple factors here, but what can happen is kind of right out the gate is if we see an infant's weight drop a little bit too much, we do want to continue monitoring it because we want to make sure that that doesn't continue to happen because that could be very detrimental. Um, However, sometimes we need to be thinking about that whole picture of an infant. And so I just want to let people know that it's not expected when you have a, a brand new infant is that their all their weight is always going to go up. It's very normal that when an infant is born, they actually lose and then they start gaining. <laughs> that is the normal process. Like that's what I would expect every single uh, parent to see when they're looking at an infant's uh, growth. And then from there, looking at that growth chart and seeing where their weight starts to naturally fall on that. And it doesn't matter where they're at on that growth chart. It's all about whether their growth is being consistent. The goal is not to have a child who's at the 50% kind of right smack dab in the middle of the growth chart. It's about if they're at 10%, they stay at 10%. If they're at 90%, they stay at 90% or wherever they're at. It's all about consistency is the key. So there's no good or bad on that growth chart. It's like Beth said, it's all about the patterns. And it's not a test score, right? Like percentiles are not a test score. So if your child's at the 95th percentile, doesn't mean they got a 95% on their test and they got an A. And if they're at the 10th percentile, they're failing. Like that is, that is something that I think can be confusing for parents. So ask mm-hmm. lots of questions, but remember it's about the trend. I think that's the take home point. It's not about one little point on the, you know, one day they got weighed and this is, has so much meaning about how they're doing. It's about the trends and the consistency that are important and should be monitored by both the parent and the provider. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's move into toddlers and talk a little bit about toddlers. So just again, this is from ages one to four, right? Toddlers can continue to have a lot of benefit from being weighed and measured. Okay. However, This is a time when it can be helpful to start having those conversations with your child's medical provider about, you know, how would you like weight addressed with your child, you know, now and moving forward. Now, granted, likely a toddler is probably not paying attention consciously to the words that a provider is saying. However, they could have some level of subconsciously starting to pick this conversation up. Um, so again, this is not going to be something that, you know, you're going to have a conversation with your child about or something like that. It's just something that you as a parent could potentially be mindful about to start talking about what is the climate that you would like to create in that medical office around weight. Okay. And, you know, this is just my opinion. This is not going to be a factual statement. This is 100% opinion. But again, if you have a provider who is not willing and open to explore this with you, I would recommend potentially finding another provider that would be open to this if this is something that's important to you. Because this is your child and this is what you want to have the experience that you want. So we do want to be tracking toddler's weight because we want to know how they're growing. There's a lot of 
habits and patterns <laughs> that can be showing up if toddlers are not continuing to grow and a lot of things that you know could be addressed with growth. It's also a time when certain medical conditions could also show up and you're only going to know that through a growth chart. So there's a lot of important reasons for checking a toddler's weight. There's a lot of them and that, we're not going to go into all of those, but there's a lot of reasons, but this is the time, I believe, where you could start that conversation with the medical provider. I mean, what do you think, Beth? Do you think this could be a time when you could have that conversation? Yeah. I, I mean, I have a four-year-old, so <laughs> I'm, I'm actually navigating that. And interestingly, my provider has not brought up weight once in any of my visits with my daughter. And I've just been waiting for it because I'm in the field and I, I've worked in the field of pediatrics as well, where we really focused on weight in the WIC office. And I've been actually pleasantly surprised that it hasn't even come up. Mm -hmm. And my, what I take from that is that it doesn't come up unless there is a pattern, right. That is not trending the way that the doctor expects. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, all that said, I, I'm kind of curious. I have, I get the growth charts from a doctor because I am curious as a dietitian. I'm like, is my daughter growing along those channels that she's meant to grow at? Mm -hmm. And so, um, but yes. And I also will say having a four-year-old in the house, while she might not be super, super conscious to every conversation, I am always dumbfounded. And I know every parent can relate when she will regurgitate something that was said between my husband and I on the other side of the room um, that had nothing to do with a conversation ha being had with her. And I'm like, whoa, she is a little sponge. And you know this if you have or, or have been around small children, while they might not consciously pick up stuff, they do hear things and they're starting to form their identities at this very, very young age. So having those conscious conversations, I think is valuable to start practicing at this, at this stage in the game. Yeah. Now that we're talking about it, Beth, and I think it's great to hear that your provider has been you know, neutral on that, has not said anything, but also I guess what kind of comes to mind a little bit is that maybe they're going to talk about it when it's a problem, right? And potentially... I'm just curious, like, do you think you might have a conversation with your daughter's provider ahead of time? Or will you continue to kind of wait and see, you know, what they say? Yeah, for me, um, I, I don't have any intention of, of bringing it up unless it becomes a problem. I feel pretty secure in how I feel about my daughter's health and the way she's trending. So I, and this is just a personal choice for yeah. me, Tammy, is that if a doctor said, that there was a problem with my daughter's weight, depending on which direction or, you know, too much weight gain, not enough weight gain. I think that I have the tools to really have that honest conversation with the provider to voice what I need in that moment for both her and for I. Mm -hmm. and, and Tammy, you know this about me. I had a certification as a young dietitian in adolescent weight management. Mm -hmm. And I worked in a clinic and I counseled uh, and I put air quotes around overweight children. So I'm especially sensitive to this because even though I wasn't into intuitive eating at the time, and I thought I was doing all the right things, I still felt anxious in the doctor's office when a child was present mm -hmm. and we were talking about his or her weight, especially when it was on the higher end of the spectrum. And whenever we brought up those words like obesity or overweight, it just made me cringe inside. And I didn't know why at the time, because I hadn't 
received the education I have now. Mm-hmm. But that's where I think we start talking about children, right, Tammy? This this age where you, we know they're impressionable. Like they're impressionable from age one to four, absolutely. From age zero, really, <laughs> they're impressionable. But at the age of like five to twelve, mm-hmm. they are soaking in everything. And and you know, if you haven't had that conversation with your child's provider. Maybe it is the time because you don't want something to be said at a doctor's office mm-hmm. that is not conducive to supporting that child's well-being, like their holistic well-being. And this is the things I think, oh, your child is gaining weight too quickly. And we need to really look at introducing blah, 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 blah. Like they, they list off the recommendations. But the first part of that statement, while seemingly harmless, will seemingly just a statement of fact, oh, your child is gaining weight too quickly, as an example, that is housed in that child as a problem. And that's when this whole process of my body is a problem and needs to be fixed starts. Yeah. And it's also, right, it's also very impressed into the parent who you stated at the very beginning of this conversation, all they want is the best for their child. Mm-hmm. And as parents, we can speak to that. All we want is our children to be healthy and to be accepted by their peers and to have an experience in childhood that's positive. Like who doesn't want that for their child? Said no one ever. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> wants a positive experience for their child. So if you know, if they were teased as a child or if they see, you know, weight as a problem, it's just that those words from the provider can exemplify yeah. that. So um, so I think it's just something to consider, you know, if you are concerned that your provider is going to bring it up at some point, you may just say, Hey, if this is something that we have to talk about, can we do so in the absence of my child, like remove the child from the room, um, if it has to be addressed or, you know, you can, you can come at it from another approach or say, this is not important to me at this moment to talk about. Mm-hmm. So Tammy, I'll let you kind of chime in here and, and share any thoughts because children are, are we're, we're getting into the zone where I think parents get a lot more feedback from the provider and they also start to, you can, they can feel it in their body, like that anxiousness, that nervousness that, oh my God, am I a good parent if I'm doing something right or wrong? And the same, I will just say, and then Tammy, sorry, the same can be said if their child isn't growing fast enough, like, oh wow, like what am I not feeding my child enough? And then parents can go into this frenzy of like, oh, I need to force feed my child. Mm-hmm. And that can have negative consequences. So it's just this conversation, probably we will not do it justice today because there's so <laughs> much complexity to it. And, and Tammy and I specifically are very, um, we, we lived and breathed this work for a decade of our careers. So we're just very, very passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I want to say that like you said, Beth, is that children are going to be very impressionable. This is, you know, this is the time when their identity is forming. You mentioned they're like, you know, they're sponges, right? They're, you know, soaking everything up, even if it doesn't look like they are, right? Even if they're across the office, across the house, whatever, you know, they are picking these things up. And on the flip side, I want to kind of like highlight where the provider you know, might be coming from, right? We've been talking a lot about the experience of what you might be experiencing, you know, as a parent, but I want to kind of flip it for just a minute and talk about the experience from the provider side, right? And here's the thing is the American Academy of Pediatrics (laughs) guidelines, right? 
and insurance reimbursement practices have really pressured pediatricians to quote unquote address weight despite the risks of weight cycling. Okay. Now I will say in 2016, the American Academy of Pediatrics did announce that doctors and families should not focus on weight and they launched kind of a whole new practice or a whole new uh, public health initiative, I think is what it is. It's called Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight. Now, I will say that that's sponsored by Nestle, and I won't go into why that is a problematic thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, in the language of what providers are being told, they are being told to communicate with families in a way that families do know best and to really use a lot of positive methods for communicating. So, there has been some minor shifts, I would say, in the past five to 10 years in terms of the pressure that pediatricians have and the tools that they have accessible to them. But, you know, here's the thing, what generally is still happening, irregardless of what's being kind of tossed down to a provider, is they might specifically talk about weight, okay, which is what we've been talking about so far. But you know, more often than not, doctors will gently encourage eating fruits and vegetables and getting exercise and these really kind of seemingly harmless interventions can actually instill morality beliefs around food and exercise and that there's a right way to eat, a wrong way to eat, that there's a right way to have a body. And this is all with or without checking the scale. You know, and I know that when my daughter was young, I can remember how the doctor went about it and it was very loving and sweet, right? But what she had told her is she had said, there's butterflies in your tummy and butterflies like to eat fruits and vegetables. Now, here's the thing that can be really helpful for some, but again, for some that can really invoke morality and it can invoke a lot of shame and my my son actually has a raw food allergy, which means he can't consume raw food, fruits and vegetables without having an allergic response. He can have cooked ones, but he can't have uh, raw ones. And so I have to constantly have this conversation for him. He's getting better at having the conversation himself, but he's had kind of that innate pressure that you need to eat fruits and vegetables. Well, guess what? He's allergic to them unless he cooks them. And so Anyways, it puts it just kind of puts an innate pressure potentially on the children's. And so, you know, we've just heard time and time again that there's all these different kind of catalysts that come out from a doctor's visit around this time where it invokes disordered eating or it even invokes a full eating disorder. So it can happen during these childhood years or it can happen in the teen years. And I know a lot of people have thought that oh, that generally probably just happens when someone's a teenager. But we're seeing that disordered eating and eating disorders is happening earlier and earlier and earlier in children. And I can't remember the exact statistics right now, but I believe that I'm seeing that it's really common for eating disorders to start around the age of eight years old. So with that in mind, I think this is something important as a parent to be cognizant of and to be thinking about and to kind of have a plan. So before we move into how to have a plan with the lovely teenagers, let's kind of wrap up 
with children, Beth, like what can parents who are listening do who have children, like what is their plan, right? So we've talked about what they might be feeling, what they might be experiencing, what the pediatrician, you know, might be experiencing and thinking about, but like, what do they do? Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, there's, there's complexity to that because of different personalities. And I know my child is different than other children and the way that we have conversations. And I want to get across the point that it's, it's okay to talk about the health benefits of food mm-hmm. and, but there's a way to do so without assigning morality. Mm-hmm. Cause I can hear the conversation in the listener's head right now. <laughs> it's like, but fruits and vegetables do have health benefits. Why wouldn't we discuss those with our children? You know? And so, um, so I think that there's, there's a way to do it that doesn't enforce, like, this is the only way to eat. You have to eat 10 servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If you want to be healthy, like that's very, like fear-based in a way to say this, this is what happens. It's black or white, all or nothing thinking, but this is the way it has to look. Instead, it's about inviting conversation at the table, in my opinion, around a variety of foods and starting to talk to your children about, you know, how they feel after they eat a particular food, you know, and not all children are super in tune to their body the way that we might think of it. But we start to say, you know, does your tummy feel like this food right now? Does that sound like the the thing that your tummy wants without assigning this good food, bad food morality to it? Um, And that's probably a podcast episode on itself, wouldn't you say, Tammy? (laughs) Like we might need to circle back on this one because I think that there's some nuances there that we won't be able to explore today. Um, So I think the, the take home point with children is just to say, you know, having that conversation with the provider. Uh, can be really helpful and just letting them know where you're at, that you want to really be, be mindful of conversation around weight, especially in the presence of your child. Mm-hmm. You know, so if a conversation does need to be had because that child's growth is going a direction that needs to be addressed, then the child is removed and that you can have that conversation with your provider in a, in a private way so that the child isn't influenced by some of those good food, bad food, morality issues or yeah, good weight, bad weight, good body, bad body conversations. And I've heard some parents that have said, you know, please email me. I've heard that as presented and there's actually some resources out there of kind of like templates, I guess, for parents that it's like a PDF that'll say, you know, you just hand it to the doctor, right? You don't even have to have a conversation with them. You, You just say, I don't want my child's weight discussed in front of them. I'll step out in the hall with you or, you know, you can, you can even write that on a piece of paper yourself. You don't even need a template. You can just say, you know, write down what, what you wish you hand it to your doctor and then you and the doctor step outside of the room to have that conversation without your child present. Simple as that. Now I will say you don't want to step out of the room by saying, we're going to go out in the hall and talk about your weight, <laughs> right? That could be very uh, potentially detrimental to, to that child. Cause they're like, what? Weight's a really bad thing, really touchy subject, right? We just want to like really nonchalantly kind of have that happen. Yeah. And so a lot of the the stuff that we're talking about with kids, would you say it applies to teens, Tammy? Yeah. Obviously their brains are at a little different stage of development. So there are some different things and I'm going to let you speak to this because you actually have the teenagers in your home right now. So you have some very hands-on experience with this age range. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest differences for me, as I was thinking about this, this topic here is that if you're somebody who has a child, um, again, up until the age of 12, 
you can likely set kind of those loving boundaries with the physician and you can even have a conversation with the physician in front of your child that says something along the lines of, we prefer to not focus on weight too heavily, you know, in our house, we'd like to focus on health. Like you can set whatever boundary, right, is is comfortable for you. And you could probably do that in front of your child. Like you don't necessarily have to just say, I don't want to talk about weight. Like with a child, you could really have the opportunity to model what it could look like and model having those conversations in a, in a very healthful way. Now, of course, if you're like, I don't know how to do that and you want support, there's a lot of people out there to you know support you and how to have those conversations, but you could more model it, right? Your children aren't going to be um, embarrassed by it. They're going to be curious, right? But I feel like what happens, <laughs> this is just, I'm speaking from some personal experience here, is that from childhood to teenagehood, there's like this switch that flips and they go from being curious to embarrassed, <laughs> right. So anything you do can be cause for embarrassment, right? When it comes to <laughs> teenagers. Now, they are very similar in terms of what to consider, but I just think that piece is is one thing to consider is that if you were to have certain conversations like in front of them and wanting to kind of model that behavior, they could be embarrassed by it and you're not going to be really sure how that lands. So in those situations, it could be better to have that conversation with the provider ahead of time, to have that email, to maybe have a piece of paper that you can hand to the nurse that can hand, you know, that can give to the doctor. Like you might have to be a little bit more sneaky. I feel like it with teenagers, there's a lot of sneaky parenting that happens. <laughs> you're parenting without letting them see that you're parenting. You know, that's just that's just the reality. But with teenagers as well, this is the first age where checking for growth and prescription dosage purposes, like, you know, wait for prescription dosage is not really as needed if they are a teenager who's gone through puberty. So we may find that this is the time to start kind of setting that stage of like, when does weight really truly need to be checked? And even though teenagers are often embarrassed by us, there's a higher level of complexity of engagement with them in terms of you can have conversations with them. So if something were to have come up in a physician's office, you can ask them, how did that land for you? How was that for you? And start to have those conversations and be really kind of open and help your your role in that time frame is to help guide them towards what feels good for them. Like at this stage of parenting, you have to almost release <laughs> a little bit, right? You have to like step back. It's no longer about what you think is best. Now, granted, you can still have influence there, but it's really about guiding them towards, you know, what they feel best. Okay. And we know of an advocate, I hope I don't butcher this doctor's name, but it's Dr. Uh, Gudiani with the Healthy at Every Size who treats people, you know, with eating disorders. That doctor suggests parents talk to their kids ahead of time about stigma 
in a doctor's office that they might encounter. So rather than waiting for it to happen and then having the conversation, you could really kind of preclude it and have a conversation ahead of time. And I believe if you go onto the Healthy at Every Size, you know, website, and we might even be able to link it in the show notes, I can I can do that. But there's a script where you can really like teach kids to dismiss medical weight talk. Again, you're guiding them. So there's a there's a big shift here. Now I will say, going this route of guiding a little bit more and precluding the conversation about weight stigma ahead of time, there are risks there. And this is going to include telling your children that you can't trust their doctor. And so this is something that you'll have to decide and how you want to handle it. Because we want, I would want, I want my children to trust their doctor, right? And I want them to feel empowered to know how to like state what it is that they need from their provider and to have that trust. And, you know, we really, we just really need to find kind of that, that middle ground because we don't want our children, (laughs) we don't want them, but here's the reality. A lot of our children are learning about health from social media right now. I mean, that is just the reality. Okay. They are getting health advice from social media influencers and really just kind of the internet at large. And this is definitely something that I combat almost daily. So we want to help steer them towards listening to their own intuition of like what they feel like is best for them, coming at it from a place of nourishing and honoring, you know, their whole body. Um, and then also including that medical provider in that care in a very compassionate, loving way. So I feel like talking about just teenagers alone could be an entire episode as well. I've kind of highlighted over some of the main points, I think, is there anything you would add, Beth, or reiterate from what I rambled off here just now for everybody who's listening? Yeah, I think the take home, and while I don't have a teen in my home, um, I've worked with teens, I've, you know, interacted with a lot of teenagers over the years. But what I really love about teenagers is they are at that cognitive ability to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're making the decision for them. You get to make the decision with them. And at least for me, as I consider uh, the growth of my children into their teenage years, I think to myself, how how am I going to be able to have that conversation with them and teach them to be an advocate for themselves, recognizing that their healthcare provider is a partner, Mm -hmm. someone they can link arms with, to make decisions together versus like the doctor's the authority and he or she is always right. Because the truth be told, sometimes doctors are still learning. No, not sometimes. Doctors, just as you and me, are still learning, right? We're still growing. And and so there can be moments where, you know, your teen or yourself can disagree with a doctor, but it's about how to have those constructive conversations And then also, as you mentioned, to navigate social media and recognize when um, social media could be misconstruing or creating hyperbole. And that just means creating this like claim, like this food makes you blank or, or this workout does blank it. There's hyperbole is used in marketing all the time and just teaching and educating teenagers is a great time. So they're set up for success when they leave your home and they don't fall into those hyperbole marketing, you know, traps that are oftentimes 
if not always used from that diet culture position. Yeah. I am absolutely just such a big fan of empowering them. And I, and I have to tell you, Beth, and you know, we'll wrap this up, but (laughs) the first time that my daughter had an encounter, a negative encounter with a provider around weight was the first time she went without me. And she was still a teenager at the time. So she could drive, but she was going in to get, I want to say it was the C test for something. I She wasn't ill or anything like that. It was just, you know, a, nothing she needed me there for. She just had to go do this, what have you. Well, the provider that that she saw, the medical provider that she saw was just making small talk with her. And I fully recognize that they meant nothing by this. Okay. Um, but they're just making small talk with her. Oh, are you planning on going to college? Da, 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 da. Yeah, I'm planning on going to college. Oh, great. What are you planning on going to college for? And she said, oh, I'm planning on going into physical therapy. And can you guess what their response was? Oh, you're too small to be a physical therapist. Meaning you're too weak. You're too puny, you know? And oh my goodness, I'm almost happy I wasn't there. Because I think my little mama bear claws may have come out a little bit. But what was important in that piece is that my daughter knew to talk to me about how it made her feel, you know, and, and that, that for me, I am so grateful for is that she was able to talk with me. She was able to communicate with me how that made her feel and she didn't internalize it and internalization of others' comments is often where disordered eating comes from. So when we don't internalize it and we can talk about it and we can rationalize it or you know process it or whatever it is we need to do with it, it doesn't become something else. And so I think that was kind of the, the takeaway there. All right. This was a loaded episode. So if there's anything in here that you would like to hear Beth and I talk about more. And I made a few notes. So there's probably going to be some upcoming episodes about some of the things that we talked about that we didn't really have the opportunity to go into more. Um, You know, just please let us know. We are always up for ideas of, you know, what it is that you may like to hear more about. We love doing this. And for today, your transformational takeaway is that how you decide to handle the weight talk or the scale inside of your child's provider's office is completely up to you. When deciding this, we encourage you to think about the developmental stage of your child, the emotional abilities of your child, and then really decide what it is that you're comfortable with. You can ask ahead of time. You can verbally talk about it, write about it handle it in the office, or prepare your child for the world of weight stigma. It's up to you. Thank you so much for taking precious time out of your day to connect here. You listened because there is some part of you that is interested in learning to love your food, love yourself, and love your life. But if you're like most women, you have already been down this road before, wishing, hoping, and wanting for something to finally actually work but things don't change. That being said, if you're committed to creating long-term change, then whatever you do, consider joining our brand new Uplift community. 
It's a private and safe Facebook community where you're supported by peers and two professional dietitians and intuitive eating counselors. Again, thank you so much for being here. Much love. Much love.